Today's, we wrap up our sermon series in uh, the Proverbs, so this will be the last sermon on Proverbs, and then um, we will be beginning next week the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, and um, that should carry us for a few months, and then we'll come back again to a New Testament uh, book. The title of today's message is The Heart of Wisdom. The Heart of Wisdom. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We are in Proverbs chapter 4, reading the last seven scriptures of chapter 4, so from verse 20 to 27. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Do not lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and hell to those who to one's whole body, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning asking you, Lord, to bless your people with your word, that we would, Lord, today be rebuked, but be encouraged, Lord, by the gospel, Lord, and that we may um, have eyes, ears, hearts, minds attentive, Lord, that we would be um, open to receive your word, Lord, this morning, and we pray this in your Son, Jesus' precious and mighty name, amen. amen. You may be seated. So within these verses, Solomon, who is a writer, dives into the heart of wisdom. And while we have already been given the command to write these words of wisdom on the tablet of our hearts from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, he now commands us to keep or to guard our heart vigilantly. Because from it flows the springs of life. Solomon gives this command because he knows that our heart is the core of who of our identity. If our heart is wise, our actions will be wise. But if our heart is foolish, everything we do will be foolish. Does that make sense? So we're going to start with verse 23, and then we're going to go before and after. Understanding the heart, verse 23, let's reread it again. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. For reasons that I hope to make clear throughout this study, I believe that this verse is the central thought of the text, of our text this morning. Therefore, we will, we will apply our focus here first and move to the surrounding verse as they provide application for observing this verse. Solomon provides here with a command followed by his reasoning behind the command. So he gives a command and he gives the reason of that command. Keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence. And there's different translations out there. For from it flows the springs of life. Yeah, and I'm sure you guys are very familiar with that passage. You've heard it very, very often in the church. In order to understand this command, we must first know what is the heart. What is the heart? Biblically, the heart refers to far more than the primary muscle of our circulatory system, right? It's more than that. 
It is the core of our identity. It is who you are. Your heart is who you are as a person. Who you are in your heart is who you really are. It represents the fundamental sense of you being you. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 19 shows this thought by saying, as in the water face reflects the face. If you look at yourself in the water, your face will reflect, right? So when the heart of a man reflects the man, so your heart is who you are. Knowing a person's heart means knowing them fundamentally, knowing who they are. Obviously, this concept elevates the heart's importance significantly, and it is why Solomon tells us to keep our heart with all diligence. Keep here can also be easily translated as guard or as defend. Vigilance is actually another form of the word used to keep in verse 21. And it is often means to imprison, to confine, to guard. It carries here the idea of guarding more than anything else, watching it supremely and vigilantly. It's of important matter. Very important. The idea is that what we must guard the heart with greater vigilance than we guard anything else. The NIV's translation truly does capture the intention of this verse, if you guys have that translation. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do. Everything you do flows from it. Your heart is important, you guys. But why do we need to vigilantly guard the heart? Why do we need to do that? Springs of life flow from the heart. The metaphor here implies the imagery of a reservoir with many springs flowing from it. The heart is the great reservoir of life. Everything we do is rooted in our heart. Does that make sense? Everything you do is, comes from our heart. Our actions are molded by our inward character. Jesus supports this understanding. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And this will be uh, connects to this, what we just read. Verses 18 and 19. It says, But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. Right? And this defiles a person, for from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimony, slander. These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. So what comes out from the mouth, what you say, what you talk about, comes from the heart. That's why you're, you're talking about it, because it's in your heart, because it's who you are. The principle here is terrifying, guys. We like to assume that we are good people, right? Who occasionally do bad things. That's what we usually talk about. Oh, yeah, we're, he's a good guy. He's a good girl. We're all good. We just do bad things. We mess up. We slip up, right? And even we convince ourselves that our intentions are generally pure. Yeah, he had good intentions. He messed up, but he had the, he had the right attitude, or he was thinking to trying to do the right thing. Sin, therefore, is simply a problem of behavior. That's how the world thinks. Sin is just a problem of behavior. But Jesus, 
shatters this thought by stating that we do bad things because we have bad hearts. And that if our heart is bad, then we are bad. All of us are bad. There's none who is good, not even one, right? We're all sinners. We've all broken God's commandments. We've not done right before the eyes of God. Sin is not a behavioral issue. It's a being issue. Sin is not a behavioral issue. It's a being issue. We are not righteous people who occasionally sin. We sin because we are sinners. All of us. Not one of us here is not a sinner. We're all sinners. Our heart is corrupt. So there is no aspect of our behaving that escapes corruption and behavior included. All of it together. We're all corrupt. We're all in bad shape before God. Proverbs even goes so far as to portray sin as destroying the heart. Throughout the book, we are told that fools lack sense. The Hebrew word for sense is the same word used for the heart. The adulterers lack a sense of that sense that really comes from having a sin strangled heart. Let's go to chapter 6, verse 32 of Proverbs. Look at what it says. The one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. So we lack sense sometimes. We do. The fool lacks sense because sin is killing his heart. Sin is actively trying to pull us into the grave. Trying to kill us. Both now and in eternity. Thus to neglect guarding the heart means that we will die for lack of discipline. Being led astray by our folly. Let us go to chapter 5 verse 23. 5 verse 23 says in Proverbs. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great, and my scripture says, stupidity or foolishness. So, there is no discipline. If you have no discipline, you're going to be led in a foolish way that does not make sense. And you will ultimately die in your sins and transgressions. All of this provides us with a few questions and problems to address through the rest of this sermon. If the heart is so important, how can we guard the heart? How do we guard this heart this in us? How do we guard it? If our heart is defiled, how can we have life at all? Is there any hope? How can we have life? And what role does obedience play in keeping the heart? What role does obedience play in keeping the heart? So let's read verses 20. I mean, to 22. Let's reread verses 20 to 22 in chapter 4. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my saying. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and, and, uh, and hell to one's whole body. Now, what, now that we have briefly covered the necessity of keeping our hearts, let us dive into the question of how we ought to do so. Fortunately, Solomon does not give us commands without further instruction. Verses 20 to 22 and 24 to 27 provide a snapshot of how to guard our hearts. So as you read chapter verses 20 to 22, it appears to be restating the same command that Solomon has given at least once in each chapter thus far. And it says, pay attention. Are you paying attention? Amen? Are we awake? Yeah. yeah? All right. To what I am teaching you, that's what he's saying. Get to brilliance of God's Breathed poetry is that the command takes on a new significance when it is viewed in verse 23. 
Parenthesis, verse 21 tells us to keep those words in our heart, just like Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3 told us, write them on the tablet of your heart. Both verses urge us to take God's wisdom to heart, take his word to heart. But now we learn that doing so is a way of guarding one's own heart. Of course, the idea of filling our heart with God's word is not a proverb exclusive. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if you want to not sin against God, store his word in your heart. And he says that you will sin less. The psalmist understood that sin has the power to corrupt and eventually kill our heart. Therefore, he resolved to fill his heart with God's word. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endure. No, that's the wrong one. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. Amen? And is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness. Each of these furthers our growth and sanctification. As we mortify sin and submit to God's will, sin is dead, but God is life. And we know that God through his word, and we get to know God through his word. As we seek to guard the foundation of our life, which is the heart, why would we not soak ourselves in the word of the author of life? Get in the word of God. Dive deep into the word of God. A failure to keep God's word is a failure to guard our heart. Let's go back to Proverbs 4. Let's read verses 24 through 27. Uh, verses 24 to 27, chapter 4. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. <coughs> let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. That shows us that we can only guard our heart through physical actions. We all have hands, feet, eyes, mouth, ears, right? These verses focus on three parts of the body, the mouth, your mouth, the eyes, and the feet. With our mouth, we are commanded to avoid devious talk. With our eyes, we are told to keep our gaze directly forward. And with our feet, we are urged not to swerve off the path. What do these direct, the, the directives mean? What do they mean? We've already said that the heart uh, holds influence over our actions. But the reverse is also true. Our actions influence our hearts. For the past several decades, there has been much talk about concerning the, the desensitizing of children 
when their innocence is just going off out of the window at a very young age, whether through comic books, video games, television, music, or movies, this debate is no longer relevant because we have already become significantly desensitized as a culture, right? A present example is a shocking uh, number of Christians who happily watch a Game of Thrones. I've never seen it, but I've seen, I've heard things about it. And despite the copious amount of nudity therein, issues like nudity should, should be evidently sinful. You should not be watching that, especially as a Christian, especially your kids, your children. They should not be watching those types of things. But there are certainly many issues where Christian liberty becomes a matter of each individual's conscience, right? We talk about Christian liberty. And yet, exercise of freedom must never undermine or override our pursuit of holiness. Because we all should be seeking to be holy. Amen? Secular media is not innately sinful, but it should be consumed with wisdom, you guys. Solomon warns us to control our bodies because our heart flows or follows close behind. As followers of Christ, we should ask this question about everything that we do. Am I glorifying God in this? That is the question we should be asking, right? Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 30. For there say amen. So John the Baptist desperately wanted to look more and more like Jesus. And that should be your goal and my goal. To be more like Jesus. And it says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen? Does your life reflect this goal as well? Does your life reflect this goal as well? Peter calls us strangers and exiles in this world. But... How are we any different from the world if our eyes watch the same things, our mouths talk the same way, and our feet go to the same places? How does that even, how did, is there any difference between you and the world? Without taking a nosedive towards legalism, because I'm not trying to be legalistic, you guys, we must reclaim a hunger for holiness, for Christ to be increased while we decrease. The early church knew this well. They were often exposed as being Christians because they refused to participate in civil events such as parades and sporting events. Nearly everything in Roman society involved worship to Roman gods, which is what? Idolatry, right? So Christians lived as strangers, as outcasts of society. They were noticeably different from the world around them, which led to many to arrest and eventually cost them their life, martyrdom. They were martyred for their faith. Cost them something to be a Christian. What does it cost you to be a Christian today? Does it cost you anything? Does it cost you friends? Does it cost you ridicule? Does it cost you not being invited somewhere? Your job, maybe. What does it cost you to be a Christian? People mocking you, laughing at you. Is that? Is that? But it doesn't cost your life. Here in America, we have freedom of religion. You can be a Christian, and no one's gonna say nothing to you, right? They're going to maybe ridicule you, make fun of you, but that's about it. Back in the day, it cost them their lives, you guys. As Christian who looks and acts identical to the world has reason to question the validity of their salvation. Listen to me. 
This process of sanctification may happen slowly, you guys. It might be slow, little by little, right? Progress, little by little. But the disciple of Christ should continuously be growing towards resembling the image of Christ. Therefore, show me a Christian who spends little to no time in the scriptures, in prayer or community with other believers, and I will show you an apostate in training. He's not really a true Christian if he's not doing that. If, he's, if he continues to not do that, right? We cannot spend our days in fellowship with darkness and expect to have communion with the light, which is with God. Vigilantly guarding our hearts means vigilantly guarding our actions, what we are doing. Does your mouth encourage and love others with the scriptures? Does your mouth love and encourage others with the scripture? Or do you backbite and gossip? Ask yourself. Reflect this morning, you guys. Reflect with me. Your heart will follow your mouth. Are your eyes delightfully fixed upon God's <coughs> word? Or are they glued to lesser, even sinful things out in this world? Hmm. Your heart will follow after your eyes' gaze, guys. What your eyes look at is what your heart will follow. Are your feet walking into community with brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are they pulling you away towards the foolishness of this world? Your heart threads down the same path as your feet. Your heart threads on the same path as your feet. So now that we've heard this, the impossibility of obedience, you guys are like, man, it's pretty hard, right? Pretty hard to guard your heart. Pretty hard to do the right thing. Pretty hard to obey and live for God, right? Almost impossible, maybe, in your own flesh, in your own strength. Both keeping ourselves to God's word and living in obedience can be summed up into what Jesus calls the great commandment. Let's go to Mark chapter 12, you guys. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And we've actually gone through Mark and we've actually preached through this passage. <clears throat> and you will see how difficult it is, how impossible it is. And God's word says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and with all your strength. Anyone here has done that? Perfectly? 100%? Nobody, right? The point of all statements to cover all the bases, the entirety of your heart should be committed to loving God. Your soul has no higher task than devoting itself to loving God. Your mind is to be fixed upon the loving Him more and more. And every ounce of the strength in our body should be spent in the love of God. That covers every aspect of your identity. Every thought that we have should love God. But does it? No, right? Every book we read, every movie, every television show we watch, every food we eat, every drink we consume, every word we say, every emotion we feel should all be done as a way of loving God. Man, we, we, we fall real short, right? We, we, we fall real short because we don't do that, do we? Do any of us do that? No, we fail, and we fail miserably. We got an F, we got zero. Maybe one, maybe we got a one. I know this is a lot, of, a lot to consider, but please don't shy away from facing this truth head on. Face it, just be real with yourselves. Even 
good works. And maybe you're like, man, I've done some good works. I've done some good things. I walked the lady across the street. I gave water to a homeless person, food to a homeless person. I gave to charity. You might be like, man, I've done some good things. Kevin, I'm not that bad like you say I am. But even good works are sinful when they are not done in order to love God. Think about that, you guys. Even when you do good, but it's not done to God, it's not good. It's not. It's not loving God. Let's go to Romans chapter 14, verse 23. And then also 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Uh, chapter 14, verse 23. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Romans 1, uh, 14, verse 23 says, Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It's not, it's not done in faith. It is sin. Or similarly, he gives a positive command in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even the simple things that we do every day. We do it sometimes three times a day, right? We eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We do that to the glory of God. <coughs> Therefore, if, if we do anything that is not done in faith for the love and the glory of God, we sin, you guys. If you're doing it for your own pleasure, your own goodness, your own credit, it's sin. And remember, sin kills the heart. So I present those three scriptures in order to show the impossibility of obedience. We've, we've all failed. None of us has been obedient. We cannot do all things to the glory of God. We cannot do all things in faith. We cannot love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We cannot. These are impossible demands that we never satisfy even for a moment in time. We are entirely incapable of the obedience that God commands. So, essentially, this is our problem. Sin kills our hearts, so we must flee from the sin and obey God. But true obedience must be with all our heart, and we are incapable of obeying with all our heart because our heart is already marred with sin. Thus, our heart continues to sin, and we continue to disobey God. It is an endless cycle of sin, disobedience, and death. This is why the Old Testament promises a new covenant and a significance. So let's go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. The new covenant that God has promised to us. And it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, that I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I made with the, Lord, with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and I no longer shall each shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I forgive their iniquity, and I remember their sin no more. That is a new covenant right there. Let's go to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verse Ezekiel 36, verse 22 to 32. 
Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. I will have you profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave you to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make the, it abundant and lay no famine upon you. And I will make the fruit of the tree and in the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for the, your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. You will see a little parallel now, the new covenant. Notice that both texts concern themselves with Israel's inability to obey God's commandments. Kind of like us, right? We can't obey God's commandments. Especially through Ezekiel, God goes through a great lens to assure that he, that the Israelites, that he is going to save them for their own, for their own sake, but rather for his holiness of his name. So God doing it for the holiness of his name. But the beauty of these texts is how God resolves to respond to their inability to obey. The Israelites could not love God with all their heart because their heart was already marred by sin. The Lord declares therefore that he will give them a new heart and cause them to walk my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Verse 27 of Ezekiel 36. They could not obey God's law, so he intervenes by writing it into their hearts. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This new covenant established by the life and death and resurrection of Christ. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. New Testament. Luke 22, verse 20. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That's what we're going to do today, the Lord's Supper later on in a little bit. But the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the new covenant, you guys. Amen? This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot obey God, but Jesus obeyed his Father for us. Amen? Amen? We deserve God's eternal wrath and punishment for our sins against him, but Jesus absorbed all of his wrath in our place. Amen? <laughs> our heart is desperately sick with sin, making it impossible to both guard and to repair, but God gives us new hearts in Christ. Amen? Amen? I don't hear so much enthusiasm here. Amen? <laughs> this should be good news. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. I'm not convinced. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4. 
verses 4 through 7. And with this, we will be wrapping up today's message, coming to an end. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, right here we see that prayer is an exercise of our right and privilege as children of God. Since you're a child of God, you can pray to God. And we pray because it is only natural for children to cry out to their father. As You know, your kids call out to you, right? Yeah. You have kids, they call out to you, dad, mom. Yeah. As, as the same, we do the same to God. We reject anxiety and bring everything to the Lord in prayer because Christ is our high priest who urges us to draw near to the throne of grace. Let's go to Hebrews 4.16. Actually, we'll end with that one. Is draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Prayer is our new heart's native language. Because our ability to pray was brought was bought with the gospel, prayer brings with it the peace of God found in the gospel, and it is the, prayer, the peace that will guard our hearts. But they are only guarded in Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, our hearts are dead in sin. But in Christ they are alive. Behold the excellence of his marvelous light. We cannot keep, our, keep or guard our own hearts. We must rest entirely in the finished work of Christ that reconciles to God and grants us peace by the blood of his cross. Amen? So that's today's sermon. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging, Lord, that we have sick hearts, that we have hearts that are bad, we have hearts that rebel against you, that are dead in sins and transgressions, Lord, but if we have repented of our sins, that we have acknowledged that we are sinners, that we've broken your commandments, that there's nothing good in us, and we come before you, you extend grace and mercy towards us, Lord, so I pray that for any of us who have not gotten right with you, God, we may be able to do it today, Lord, because Life is not guaranteed to any of us. We may be here today and gone tomorrow, standing before you, Lord, on Judgment Day, Lord. So I pray that we would receive the gift of eternal life, which is found in your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, as our, as the, uh, as He paid it on the cross with His blood, Lord, the new covenant, Lord, that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. The love that you have given and extended to us sinners, Lord, that we do not deserve, Lord, but that yet we receive freely, Lord, and we're thankful for it, Lord. We're grateful for it, Lord. So... Be with us as we continue today's sermon, as we continue to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.